You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, literally wherever you get your podcast from. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media and editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. Here with you all on this Wednesday edition of Locked On Pelicans, continuing our countdown of the best teams in Hornets Pelicans franchise history. We are going to take a look back at kind of what was not the best team, but I think they are the second best team. That's where we are in the countdown here. The 2010-2011 New Orleans Hornets, then Hornets team that featured Chris Paul, kind of David West, uh, among others too, and kind of the really last great run that they had. I am kind of excited to talk about this one because I really, really like this team, particularly the playoffs, even though they didn't get out of the first round. So we're going to look back at this team. Then we've got interviews today, um, and I did a three-person interview, which was a lot of fun, with Caroline Gonzalez, who you know is one of the hosts for the Pelicans. We've got Betsy Borrego, who's the in-arena host, along with Theo Mitchell, who does a lot of the in-arena hosting as well. This was fun. This will run over multiple days, too, so we'll play the first couple parts of that in today's show. So let's dive into it all in today's edition of Locked on Pelicans. So let's talk about the 2010-2011 New Orleans then Hornets team. And I love this team for a number of reasons. Some of them are personal too. This was the first year I had season tickets, the first year I started covering the team too. And it was a pretty fun ride. You kind of had everything in this. Wins, losses, the playoffs, heroic performances, the owner not able to pay for the team anymore and had to sell it to the NBA, which added some kind of intrigue to a big season ending injury, a trade that kind of salvaged some of all of that basically a lot and it was a swan song of sorts because this was the last time that you'd see Chris Paul in a Hornets uniform same for David West both leaving the team in different ways after the season but in ways that no one seemed really upset about unlike the last season we talked about kind of which was a swan song for Anthony Davis and that roster when they made the playoffs and beat and swept the Portland Trailblazers in the first round but it just felt kind of different things were maybe done the right way here which is kind of what you're hoping for and At the end of this run, and it was a good run for Chris Paul here in New Orleans, no one really felt upset or betrayed or burned in the same way that it was with Anthony Davis. So even though this team didn't go as far as that Pelicans team did, I like this team more. They're greater because of those other factors in there. And frankly, I wouldn't be shocked if this team could beat that other Pelicans team too, When especially when you have Chris Paul. If David West is healthy, that's a different story um, and all of that. So I really, really liked this team and they were a lot of fun it was Monty Williams first year too they were very sound defensively ranking in the top 10 while not being as great offensively but when you have Chris Paul you've got a clutch guy who can just make things work they were unbelievable on the defensive glass just sweeping everything up and those are kind of some of the hallmarks of this team they also started out strong this is still kind of in the wake of the BP oil spill a little bit and this is a team that started out 8-0 including a big win over the Miami Heat not big but a big victory at the time they won 96-93 in the fifth game of the regular season which was a lot of fun this is the first year the Miami Heat beating them at home 
or of like the Heatles, beating them at home was a big deal and made you feel really good about what this team was going to be capable of doing. Along with the rest of the regular season, things kind of came to an interesting head, though, um, against the Utah Jazz when David West went down with what ended up being a season-ending injury. He had been very good this year for him. He had been putting up 19 points per game uh, along with 7.5 rebounds. Earlier in the year, they had traded for Carl Landry from Sacramento, which ended up being an important deal. He gave them 12 points per game, kind of replacing some of the production off of the bench until kind of going into the starting role after that injury. But in that game that David West goes down, you have a Mecca Okafor who hits a game tying um, overtime forcing three pointer as time expired to send it to overtime where the Hornets would then go on to win. It's kind of reminiscent in a way of the three that Anthony Davis hit over the Oklahoma City Thunder that basically got them into the playoffs in one of the years we've already spoken about. So you you see some similarities with that. But the reason why I love this team and why everyone kind of loves this team is frankly because in the playoffs, they were awesome. After some jockeying for position with the Memphis Grizzlies, the Grizzlies wanted that eight spot because the number one seed wasn't the Lakers that was headlined by Kobe Bryant, Pau Gasol, and that group. Um, you wanted to kind of go against a different team other than the Lakers who had dropped a few games, weren't the one seed, but frankly were the best team in the conference at the time, we all thought ended up being the Dallas Mavericks who won the title that year, but you felt pretty good about them in the eighth spot, but they ended up seven and playing the Lakers in the first round. And that's where things got really, like really, really fun in this series. They lost, but it was a six game series that was a whole lot tougher, I think, than people were expecting. New Orleans came out and beat the Lakers in game one. 109-100, stealing, for the time, home court advantage. Chris Paul had 33 points, 14 assists, and 7 rebounds in that game, leading the team to an upset road victory, which, not exactly the most easy thing to do. They then dropped the next game, and then when it, the, the series switched to being back at home, they lost Game 3, 100-86, and then Game 4 took uh, a big victory, uh, that kind of really kept the series alive a little bit more. Stealing, not stealing one at home, but getting one at home is certainly going to be a good thing. And that's when you saw a masterful performance from Chris Paul. This is one of the greatest games I've ever seen in person by a single player. 27 points, 15 assists, 13 rebounds for Chris Paul in the night. A triple-double in the playoffs against a very, very good Lakers team that was starting Pau Gasol, Kobe Bryant, Metal World Peace, Andrew Bynum, and Derek Fisher. Um, and had Lamar Odom on the bench, uh, Matt Barnes on the bench, Shannon Brown was a decent NBA player for a little while too. They were a good team. And Chris Paul just put on a masterful performance that was truly awesome to see, extended the series um, and kept things going a little bit more, even though they would ultimately fall in this one. But it was just, I don't know, a wonderful performance from him in this. It was a, wasn't enough um, but it may it tied things up at 2-2. L.A. would go on to win the next two, advancing, but you kind of got a great going-out performance from Chris Paul in this one, and by the time he asked for a trade this offseason, no one was really upset. David West left as a free agent. Going into the offseason, Chris Paul was under contract in the final year. Everyone knew he wanted out. He did the right thing. You had the rescinded trade to the Lakers and all that, which is a different story. 
but he gave you some memorable performances from this year, um, including that win over the Heat, which was a whole lot of fun at the time. So it was a very fun season overall. They made it into the playoffs. They played the Lakers hard. You can't really ask for much else than that, including some masterful performances. And you got to be really happy with it. I love this team. This team was really fun. I have very fond memories of this year. Objectively, they didn't go as far as some of the other ones that we've talked about. But you know what? I think kind of the the personal factors in this also are a big reason I have them up there too. So I enjoy them. They're great uh, and a whole lot of fun. So that's why I've got them as the second best team in franchise history. Where do you have the 2010-2011 then Hornets rank? Let me know on Twitter at Nola Jake. And on Friday show, I'll give you the top team in franchise history. No real surprise there, but it'll be fun to kind of look back on this. So that'll be coming up later in the week. And coming up here in the next segment, we got an interview. We're going to run this for the next two. That'll be fun. And also on Friday as well. So that is coming up here on today's edition of Locked on Pelicans. Joining me now on Locked on Pelicans, I got a group of people and this is going to be fun and I'm excited to have everyone here. I've got Caroline Gonzalez who works with the Pelicans podcast, does in arena stuff as well. You can follow her on Twitter. It's at CarolineGonzo34. We've got Betsy Borrego who's the in arena host. You can follow her on Twitter at underscore just Betsy and then Theo Mitchell who also does a lot of in arena host work is partnering with Caroline too for the little pregame show before anything. You can follow him on Twitter at Theo underscore Mitchell. And I thought it would be fun just to get the game day crew here to kind of talk about what I think it is we're all missing, which is just being at game. So for everybody here and kind of just jump in however you all want, is it been like an adjustment not to have a basketball game every other day or so right now? Yeah. Uh, I mean, if y'all don't mind me going first, I know Betsy's been a part of this much longer than I have. And Theo just, uh, you know, jumped on this year. But I think we can all agree when we say that it gave us something to look forward to. Um, And if not once a week, several times a week, I know kind of like when you're planning out your week. And it seems like now we, we barely even plan because every day seems like it's Groundhog's Day and we're just within these same walls. But it gave you something to look forward to each week. And of course, we we all have to do a certain amount of prep work to get ready for those games. Um, and you were just excited to go watch Pelicans basketball. It doesn't matter uh, a win or lose or loss. Of course you want to win, but you get to watch Pelicans basketball and not being able to look forward to that. Of course we have these Pelicans playbacks, which have been great, but being in the arena and being in the crowd and um, having that atmosphere, I certainly miss it. Just to kind of piggyback on that, I think um, with this, it was just so quick. You know, when we go to off season, you know, we have that closure. We have that, oh, we're going to our last game, you know, whether or not we made the playoffs, you know. And with this, it was just like, games are canceled, like, until further notice. It, it so was just very like, oh, right. what do you do, you know? There is not enough 2K20 that you could play out there. <laughs> that will equal the energy that fans brought into the arena every night. You know, the excitement you get from watching, you know, a Josh Hart steal or Kenny Hustle get on the floor. And of course, a Zion dunk, a JJ three. I mean, you could do all these things on NBA 2K20 and trust me, I do it every day, but it doesn't match uh, being there live, seeing it in person. And if the team's away, seeing them do their thing on the road. So you just, you miss it. You can't wait for it to come back for it all to come back so we could be together. But as of right now, it, it hurts the soul because you just miss everything about it. 
Yeah, and then you know, I think we all, I'm sorry. I no, think no, we all ahead. come so close um, as a family that like when somebody tells you, you can't see your family for like a month, you're like, wait, what? Why? You know? Yeah, I miss seeing Betsy's outfits. I miss uh, <laughs> Theo pointing out his shoes that I know nothing about. Like, I just miss it all so much. I feel like we were getting to a point where you were starting to point out, like, what number Jordans I had on. And and with Betsy just watching her, like, go over lines, like, frantically, you know, pregame and before doors opened and, and just knocking them out of the park, especially when she does it live. So it's just – it's all the small things, all the big things and everything in between. It's, it's interesting because, and you all touched on it, there's like a big community aspect to everything at these games, whether it's the people that are working there, whether it's the fans going to games and running into people that sit in their section every single game and kind of these rituals. Like I know one of the beer vendors really, really well there now, um, <laughs> for, you know, from having season tickets from 10 plus years now. And like when we have media day, it almost feels like the first day of school or something like that with people coming back into the arena back to the facility scene, at least on my side, a lot of the other beat reporters and podcasters and writers and all of that. And I'm sure it's very similar for you all and you all mentioned it and it's kind of missing that aspect of things is really sad and it shows you kind of how much more of an important role the Pelicans play than just on-court entertainment. Yeah, I mean, think of all the the ASM employees and, you know, early in this COVID-19, Zion Williamson came forward, uh, Mrs. Benson came forward to, to donate to the ASM workers. But like, those are people we see every single day and that we interact with, or every single game, excuse me, and that we interact with all the time and that help protect us. And they want to see us succeed, just like we want to see them succeed in their job. Um, and so you really do start developing relationship with those people. And I think the hardest thing of this all is that, you know, you mentioned media day when you're all getting together and it's like the first day of school. And it's like, we can't even go like Betsy and I have gotten coffee together. Like I miss Betsy and seeing her at the games is great, but like, I can't even go get coffee with Betsy. I think that's like the hardest thing is not even being able to meet up with the people that you've gotten so close with. And uh, I think the, like you said, the community aspect of it all, like I miss my community. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's been interesting to kind of see, and I know people are, are missing it. And so one of the reasons I, you know, I wanted to get together with everyone here is, you know, a big part of that community is kind of the game day atmosphere of everything. And this is something that gets talked about a lot amongst the fans. And I hear a lot about it and in particular over the past couple seasons. I think the Pelicans have done a really good job of kind of upping the quality of it, the, the entertainment factor. Um, Caroline, we know how good you are at eating things now uh, this this season because why, why of that. Bring up, why are you bringing up some stuff, man? Like, they, they didn't what are you, three in that. a row or two in a row? Two in a row, and COVID-19 has only made me stronger. <laughs> oh. I don't want any more eating contests if Caroline's involved. I, th- th- this next season when we get to next season I, I don't want to be a part of it i can't do it i'll commentate on it I can't Jake, it. something you might not know and that most fans don't know other than the production team on the king cake eating contest i was so like determined to win that i so i sabotaged theo's cake so Wait, what did you do i was i was responsible for grabbing our cakes like Theo had to go rehearse something and I was like, oh yeah, like I got it. And I've been planning this all day. And so I got our pieces and like, I cut them in front of him to, you know, ensure that they were both the same size. 
And then I covered his insult. <laughs> <laughs> so I covered his piece of king cake in salt. And so like five seconds into the king cake eating contest, like I'm not taking it very seriously because I'm like, he's going to quit any second now. Like he's going to stop eating. And then I kind of like look over and he's still going. And I was like, oh, I need to take this seriously. So like I start drinking water and like getting it to go down and things like that. Um, but Theo never stopped and he ate the entire piece of king cake and nearly won with it covered in salt. You know, Theo, I think that one that says a, a number of things about you, I don't know what, but it's a number, <laughs> a number of things. Uh, that is some serious determination there though. You know, one, I'm happy that the truth is out. <laughs> <laughs> Two, I am happy that, um, you know, it shows our determination, both of us, uh, for different ways, of course. But, you know, what? that's a competitor, and that's what I like to see in competition. And um, I, I don't know if I can do any more eating contests, but I, I would like to challenge Caroline in something uh, moving forward. I don't know what it is. Maybe 2K20, maybe sneaker trivia, uh, maybe people references. These, these seem a little skewed towards you here. Just, just – you know, just it left a taste in my mouth. But I'm just saying, like, it's, it's all, it's all. It's just... yeah, I don't know if it was a, a showing a, a fierce competitor or a cheater, but I'll do anything to win. <laughs> that that spirit just in, is prevalent through the Pelicans, like the will to win. Betsy, yes. is there anything that you think you could beat them in an eating contest with? Like, not even a question. Oh. Or would you, would you also cheat and put salt on there yeah. for him to win? <laughs> I think I'm better with, like, drinking things because I drink water all the time and I, like, chug water. So if it comes down to, like, a drinking contest, I got y'all. But See, eating, I'm really bad at that. I'm really bad at that. Like, I'm <laughs> terrible at drinking water. I'm terrible at drinking liquids quickly. Like, I remember, you know, playing basketball, our coach would be like, okay, get a water break. And I'd get like half a sip in before our time. It's time to go back out there. I'm, I'm terrible at liquids. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Every, everyone on the team here is uh, a little bit competitive with everything. So more to come from Caroline, Betsy, and Theo here in today's edition of Locked on Pelicans and Friday's edition of Locked on Pelicans as well. But don't forget, subscribe to Locked on Pelicans wherever you get your podcast from here Monday through Friday for you all, well, Monday, Wednesday, Friday for you all, covering everything you want to know about the team, best teams in franchise history. We have more theme weeks coming up too. And it is still a lot of fun to talk basketball and I'm enjoying it. So thank you all for listening. More to come and we'll get back to the interview. So you've all mentioned this, and I want to ask you this question about kind of the prep work that goes into some of the stuff at the arena. And, I, you know, you've mentioned rehearsing lines, running through things before. I had uh, Andrew Lopez of ESPN, the beat writer, on the show with me, and we were talking about how he's got to go on SportsCenter, and he had never done any, any sort of live TV before, and, which kind of surprised me because I'll do a good bit of that with, like, the TV stations here. Um, Fletcher Mackle likes to grab me right before games and just throw me on without any sort of prep work or anything. How was it doing some of the in arena stuff live for the first time? Did it go well? Did it not go well? Any funny stories from that? Um, I actually have one. So as I don't know if, if Pelicans fans know, but I started off on um, Buzz Patrol or like the, what is now the Swoop Troop. And um, I kind of landed on the MC job by chance. What happened, we had the MC, he ended up quitting um, and they needed somebody to fill the spot. So they're like, oh, Betsy, she acts. Let's try to do that. 
I would hold my cards in my hand until the last second of them like, okay, we're going to Betsy. And then I would put them behind my back. And for a very long time, I looked like I had like half of an arm because <laughs> I had like a short sleeve and my arm was behind my back and I'm holding the mic like this because I'm trying to not show my card. And um, it's like really embarrassing when I look back at those videos and I see like, I look like I have half of an arm hanging on. Oh man, there's, there was one from the season that, oh, I, I still get hung up with thinking about it. So there's a spot that we do where we promote the Pelicans Kids Club. And in particular, when you, when you highlight a young man or a young woman that's a part of the club, you're doing it from section 124. So you're in the concourse and you're out of the, the lower bowl, but you're, you're, you're in the concourse. So you, you, have, you learn very quickly that you're not using the same mic. You have to use a different mic. So this one in particular, I, I had the wrong mic. And when it was my turn to go, I was speaking in the mic, and I thought everybody in the lower bowl heard me. But I guess there was some technicality, and it, it, it just went out. And then they quickly went to the other spot. And then that's when the cameraman, Ron, and myself realized, oh, man, we had the wrong mic. So you have to use a particular mic for certain spots. Uh, luckily, there was still time in the timeout. But uh, we grabbed the right mic, quickly got it done, and probably less than 30 seconds. I feel like I mumbled through it just because I was trying to, to get it all in. But, oh, it was it was one of those things where you, you prep yourself up so much in your head and you have this smooth delivery. You you know how you want to go in, how you want to go out. You're, you're building a good rapport in a short, quick, in a short amount of time with the uh, with either a contestant or, or a young person or even an elderly person, depending on the spot. But when a technicality happens, like right then and there, it just kind of throws you for a loop. So it's like, okay, how do we – quickly recover and get in and out and deliver this spot and make it seem as natural as possible. It is, it's, it's tough. Yeah. I think, uh, I think it's a little bit different from my perspective um, as far as the pregame show goes, because this is our first year doing the pregame show. And on the Saints side, I am the host for our pregame show. So I'm the host and John DeShazer is our analyst. Whereas for the Pelicans pregame show, Theo's the host and I'm the analyst. So it's a little bit different, but I think it works so well because I know what Theo has to do in order to prep and I know the challenges of hosting and kind of uh, having the exact reads and saying it the exact same way and feeling comfortable saying those things because reads sometimes are the hardest part because you have to make sure you get the verbiage right for the sponsor. Um, so I think we play off well when it comes to that, but I, I think the most interesting thing with Theo and I is that we met maybe a week before we did the pregame yeah. show and we only rehearsed the night before doing the pregame show. And then we kind of just ran with it. Like we didn't know each other. We weren't friends. Theo hadn't worked for the Pelicans before. So it was just kind of this on camera uh, chemistry that kind of developed game by game. And I felt like maybe around game 20, we really started to hit our stride uh, with our chemistry and being on camera and knowing each other. Um, knowing what each other likes and dislikes and how much time we want for things and things like that. So um, Theo's been been doing great as a host uh, as far as that. But um, one of the challenges that I ran into that Theo ended up saving me at some point, I remember we were playing the Golden State Warriors um, and it was fairly early in the pregame show uh, as far as like doing them. And so I wasn't super comfortable yet. Uh, but I remember I had my notes in front of me and I stopped and looked at the camera for like 10 seconds and just completely forgot 
how to speak <laughs> English, how to read my notes on my piece of paper. Like I just forgot everything. And, um, you know, Theo was able to pull me out after a few seconds and stuff like that. But of course, we all know as personalities and as people who are in front of the camera behind a microphone, that can be very daunting when that happens to you because you're like, okay, how do I recover? How do I continue the rest of this show and make people feel comfortable or not make people feel bad for me? Um, but Theo, Theo has been a great host and, and Betsy as well. She's been great with uh, the constant encouragement and, and everything like that. It's no, that's important because I've had those moments where I've like completely frozen or someone asks you a question you're just like not prepared for whatsoever. And it actually takes like a moment to process and that can be absolutely terrifying. And you don't want to just kind of like, sometimes you feel like you need to like talk through it till you figure out what you need to say. And by then you've just kind of said some things that make <laughs> not a whole lot of sense probably, or just like dead wrong. And so I've definitely, definitely done that. I always struggled with kind of figuring out like what, when I would do like standing shots, like what to do with your arms during that time. And I can never, ever, even to this day, feel comfortable with it. And I tend to move a lot when I talk and I got tired of hitting like Sharif and like Fletcher with my arms when I was moving or being a little too animated. Yeah. Like karate chopping them or something. And <laughs> being a little too animated with things was was not really great. Betsy, when you do a lot of the in arena stuff during timeouts, quarters, have you ever had it where like one of the contestants or someone's kind of thrown you off with it all? Or has there ever been a moment where like maybe they just gave an answer to a question and you just could not believe it and it was like, what do I do here? Yes, actually, there was a time where it was last season or two seasons ago, we used to do this thing, um, the season ticket holder of the game. And um, usually a time out before I go talk to them, I kind of uh, put them at ease, let them know what's going on. They don't have to talk. They just smile, wave, all that kind of stuff. So um, we're going to, to do it. And auto automatically this guy who's a season ticket holder holds up a sign that says AD is a Rams fan. <laughs> I ha I'm not looking at it. But I have, um, for those of you who don't know, we have earbuds in our ear that uh, links to our producers that are talking to us, like letting us know when we're going to go on, how fast um, the time we have, all that kind of stuff. And my producer is like, get him off, get him off, get him off the camera. And I'm like, what's happening? So I read the sign and in the middle of me saying like, this is so-and-so, whatever, I say, what? Absolutely not. And I like take it, throw it down and like just finish the rest of the hit. <laughs> And I don't know how I did it. I don't know. Like, I think the, the gods were just on me at that moment, but it was, it was crazy. It threw me off, but we got through it. That's where That's I have to give huge credit to Betsy because oh, yeah. having to do fan interviews, first of all, you never know what fans are going to say, what fans are going to do. And, and second, fans can be like, Oh yes, I'm the biggest Pelicans fan in the world. Put me on camera. And then as soon as you put them on camera, they're like, Oh, please don't look at me. Please don't talk to me. And you're just like, what the heck? You were this most vibrant person 10 seconds ago. And now you went in your shell. So Betsy's always done a really great job of like kind of controlling not only the narrative, but like making the fan feel comfortable and, and putting on a great show. No, absolutely. That, that, that's important. I mean, a moment like that probably is terrifying, especially like to the producers behind the scenes who are probably like freaking out during during that time. Also, isn't AD a Packers fan, I think? Yes. Yes, I was about to say, <laughs> yeah. the person did not know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not a Saints fan, which is, which is ultimately, I think, what matters here. Um, but yeah.
All right, so that's going to do it for this edition of Locked On Pelicans. Hope you all enjoyed talking about the 2011, uh, sorry, 2010-2011 team, the interview with Caroline, Betsy, and Theo, and I'll have more from them in the next episode of Locked On Pelicans. We kind of go all over the place, and it is a lot of fun, um, and they are really important for making kind of that game day experience feel as great as it is in something we are all missing right now. So thank you all for listening. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. I'm back with you all on Friday.